wonder if you remember years I spent in vanity and pride caring knowing not it was for me he died at Calvary remember the chorus that said this mercy there By God's word at last my sin I learned Then I trembled at the law I Till my guilt is To come Give me the next verse Give me the next verse Oh, the love that drew salvation plan. There we go. Oh, the grace that brought Come on, sing it, church. Sing it out. Your testimony. driving in about 7 o'clock this morning to the, to the church on a radio station, and it brought back all kinds of warm memories, and there may be some connection to what I'm going to share with you today. Um, if you would, just in the quiet of your heart, ask the Lord to help me communicate the truth of His Word today. Not everything that we share from the pulpit is, is easy to share, and I, uh, I was praying with Brother Joe Howard this morning before the service, and I said, I, I want the congregation to be able to see through me, so obviously, and see the Lord, but I want you to know that as we share this morning, we're doing it because we love you, and we believe in the truth of the Word of God, amen? How's that for a setup, huh? You can't leave now. If you leave, if you leave I'll know why you're leaving if you leave at this point. I have of late found myself... In um, conversations with other pastors, church leaders, and congregation members, in a particular conversation, I, I've just noticed that it's, it's, it's come up several times. It will from time to time, but it's been often lately. It's, it's uh, arrested my attention. And the particular conversation I'm speaking of typically includes a statement that sounds a lot like this. Someone will say, another pastor or whomever will say, you know, I'm very concerned over the state or the condition of the church today, very concerned about the condition of the church. And, and when they say that, they're speaking of the church typically in America, 
maybe globally, but particularly in America. And though the subject may be discussed in any number of ways, most of the time, the root of the matter is a concern over how soft the church has become on the subject of sin as it is defined in the Word of God. We're not supposed to talk about sin anymore, but we do here, okay? Though you old-timers like me will tend to view sin from that which we were taught in Sunday school and vacation Bible school and our parents and our pastors, but I think if we're honest... It was what we absorbed and what we learned. It was most often a mixture of Bible and the culture of the day. And what could be seen uh, even possibly as regional, uh, or I, I learned, I discovered this. I was raised mostly in the Midwest, and we took a trip to the West Coast one time, and what was sin in the Midwest was widely accepted in California. And of course, California, you know, they do all kinds of things out there. Sorry to you Californians. But from, you know, the South, the Deep South has one understanding, and, and, and the, the North, uh, North Central area has a certain understanding. And then along come the millennials, or those even younger, who have grown up in a completely different day and, and generation and culture, and their view of sin, and which is that which separates us from a holy God. I don't think any of us are confused about that today. But, but the millennials and the younger people, their view can appear to be much different than some of us older folks. But regardless of what demographic you may fall into, or regardless what life stage you are a part of, here's what we still know to be true, and that is this. The Bible still declares, it has not changed, it still declares sin to be sin, and there's not a person in this house who does not have to deal with it. Yeah, no, that's okay. <laughs> because we know the Scripture says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that word all, when you examine it really closely, it means all. All of us. Now, can I just ask you, don't, don't tune me out yet. Don't tune me. Don't, don't, go, don't get on your device, not yet, okay? I'll tell you when you can do that, all right? Because some people say, oh, he's going to talk about sin today. This doesn't affect me. Yes, it does, dear one. It does. I promise you it does. Maybe you feel like somehow you've, you've reached a, a spiritual level that you no longer have to grapple with sin. You think you're a pretty good person, and, and you know, and you just don't have to, you know, or maybe you've, you're thinking this morning right now, you know, Dan, I've walked with God for decades. I, I know the look. I know the lingo. I know how to behave in church. I know how to wear the right cologne. I, you know, I've led a home group. I've, I've taught a Sunday school class. Maybe you've pastored a church, or you've taught a discipleship class, or you've been a, a worship leader, whatever. But if you're still breathing in and out, and your heart is beating in your chest, then, dear one, you still have the propensity towards sin. Most of you know my dad was a pastor, and uh, I remember the day an old sister in the church came by his office. Um, I can still see the little white sweater, the little blueprint dress, and the little gray bun on the top of her head. I can see it clearly. And she came to announce to him that she did not need to hear his message on sin because she had walked with God so long that she had reached that blissful state of sinless perfection. <laughs> My dad just smiled at her, and, and, and he asked her to pray for him, which I thought was a very gracious response. 
And after having overheard that conversation, which I was really good at doing as a kid, I could overhear all kinds of conversations. And after she left, I said to my dad, did I hear right? Did she say she's reached the state of sinless perfection? Well, that's what she said. But dad, isn't she the one known to be the biggest gossip in the church? At which point he looked at me and smiled and he gave me that wonderful look that just basically said, Dan, keep your mouth shut. (laughs) I've heard that phrase before. Maybe you have. We know that any saint who claims total sinless perfection is in a terrible state of self-deception. Let me just remind you what 1 John 1 says. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. Oh, but I love this. But if we confess our sins to him. Guess what? He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all wickedness, all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. So can I just lay that as the groundwork that all of us have the propensity to do those things which separate us from God. We all have hearts that are prone to wander, whether we admit it or not. And we all tend to judge the sins of others based upon that which we have done or based upon that, those things with which we contend, whatever our besetting sin is. And if that which we see in others is at or beneath the, the level we know that we're capable of thinking or doing, we're pretty soft on that with them. And we're, we're amazingly forgiving. We can say things like, well, boys will be boys or girls will be girls. And if, on the other hand, we see others doing that which we deem to be far worse than that which we are capable of doing or thinking or desiring to do, then, then if it's, we think that's worse than what we've done, we're ready to condemn them to hell, which is particularly unbecoming to a Christian when we take, uh, when we take any measure of delight in exposing those far worse sins of others because if we're honest, we are doing it for typically for the purposes of making ourselves feel better about that which we are capable of doing or thinking. Did you follow all that? Well, at least I'm not as bad as so-and-so. At least I haven't. We get very comparative, don't we? I haven't done what she's done. Do you know what she's capable of doing? Well, I'm, I'm not talking to so-and-so today. I'm talking to you and I'm talking to me. And I'm here today to talk about an old-fashioned word. It's a word that we don't hear much about anymore. And for those who are engaged in conversations, those conversations I mentioned a while ago where we express serious concern over the condition of the church today, it could be, it could possibly be that the reason for this condition of the church, in our, at least in our country today, is because we've not paid enough attention to this word that I want to talk about today. We've not taken it seriously enough, and so because of that, and it's because it's on my mind and on my heart, and I believe it's something the Lord has drawn my attention to this week, I'm not ashamed or afraid to bring up that word, and I want to really expose it. I want to help us all with it today, and that old-fashioned word is this, conviction. Some people have called it, some of us old-timers would call it the conviction of the Holy Ghost. Who knows what I'm talking about here today? Following the uh, Sunday morning service, a pastor stood at the back of the church shaking hands with the worshipers as they left. As one man shook hands, he looked intently at the pastor and said, Pastor, powerful sermons, 
thoughtful, well-researched, and I can always see myself in them, and I want you to knock it off. (laughs) I'm going to talk about this word conviction today, and I really want you to hear me. I want you to hear my heart. And here's what I want you to know. I'm here to help us today. I'm here to help you. I'm here to help me. I'm not here to discourage you. I'm not here to, to, uh, uh, to, to do that at all with God's help. I, I want us to understand something from the Word of God that I think is going to be a help to us. Because let's be real clear. There's only one person here who convict, and that's the Holy Spirit. He's the only one. I just want us to be able to identify it. I want us to be able to, uh, to know. I want to know for myself. I want each of us to know What is it when we are convicted by the Holy Spirit? What is that like? And then what do we do with it? And I want us to be motivated to know and to identify when we as individuals enter into our distinctive danger zone. Do you know that you have one? I do. We may have more than one. I want to help you know what to do when you recognize when you have walked into your danger zone and you are experiencing the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to be real pointed about it and real plain about it today. Now, obviously, I don't want you to answer this out loud. I just want you to think to yourself as I ask you this. What is your danger zone? What is it? Don't say anything out loud. What is your danger zone? What is that place that you can walk into? That place that you know that when you get there, that is absolutely red hot for you and you need to back off. And it may be different for different people. Because here's what I believe, that as a believer, we need to be able to identify when you walk into that place, be it a situation, a circumstance, an environment, or a certain kind of relationship that you know is not bringing out the best in you. And you know you've allowed yourself to walk right straight into that danger zone which will cause you to sin, therefore bringing separation between you and a holy God. Maybe you've not thought of it in those terms before, but I'm asking you to this morning. Is your danger zone your computer? Is it your checkbook? Is it your finances? Is it your credit card? Is your danger zone your mouth or your tongue? Quit nudging your Wives, quit nudging your husbands. I see that. Is your danger zone your insecure self-image that causes you to do all kinds of things to make you feel better about yourself? Say things, do things that cause you to self-medicate, to feel better about you, and you know it's wrong, and you know it's sin. I grew up in an era of legalism in the church. Church legalism was... Always much harder on women than it was on men, and the women said amen. My sister had a much tougher time than I did. As I look back on it now, here was my discovery about about legalism. Because we say the word legalism today, and by and large, when we say that word and the way it is sort of morphed into what it is now, we think of it as a really bad word, a really bad thing. I'm not even so sure that we used that word legalism back when I was a kid but, uh, to, to describe that which we practiced. But I can tell you this, that if we did, we didn't think of it as negative. In fact, I, I want to just take you back a little bit into what our thinking was. In fact, we looked upon it, regardless what we called it, we looked upon it as the right thing. And it was widely accepted in the church as an appropriate way of thinking. And that thinking 
As astonishing as it's going to sound in 2016, that thinking on the part of the church leadership went something like this. Now, this is my opinion. Get the externals to look right. Women, don't cut your hair. Men, don't cuss, chew, or smoke, or go with those who do. Women, don't wear makeup or jewelry. Women, don't wear pants. Or get the holiness look, and it will somehow, almost magically, if I could use the word, seep inwardly if the, all the externals are lined up right. And that if we get the externals right, I've heard pastors say this, if they got the externals right, they somehow believed that the internals would then fall in line as well with the externals. And amazingly, we believed it. Some of you know, lived in that era with me, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But time has proven to us that the externals can look terrific, and yet the heart can still be as black and corrupt as it can be. So here's the problem. If I could take that word conviction and personify it for a moment, here's the problem that conviction has. Conviction has the responsibility through the Holy Spirit to convince you that that which you are doing, that which you are engaged in, that which you are thinking, whatever, that it's, what you are doing is wrong. And it is separating you from the God who has poured out his love upon you through the person of his son Jesus Christ in dying on the cross to pay for your sin. And guess what? You don't like to be told that you're wrong. And I don't either. I have people come to my office all the time for pastoral counsel. They don't want counsel. They want me to rubber stamp what they already want to do. And there's times I want to say, why are you wasting my time and yours? You don't want me to tell you that that is a deadly trap that you're walking smack dab into. Now, that's just the way it is. They don't want to be told that because we don't like to be told that we are wrong. There is a component within us that has this desperate need. Listen to me. Listen to me up there. There's a, something within us that has this desperate need to be right, that our judgments are right, our opinions are right, our viewpoints is the correct one, our understanding is the right one. We will fight to be right. I have seen people who know full well that their actions or their position was dead wrong. And I can almost get them to admit to, that that's true. Yet for the sake of being right, they will argue to the limit. And yet, the Holy Spirit has the task of convicting us when we've stepped out of line. And he does it as a gentleman, nudging us carefully, saying, no, 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 that's not good for you. No, that's not the direction for you to go. There's, there's destruction ahead right on the other side of that. You can't go there. And sometimes it's, what on earth are you thinking? Before I take you to our text this morning, I want to remind you quickly of a concept that I've talked with you about 
talked about before with you. It's a concept that I've talked about quite a bit. You've probably either heard me share it from this pulpit or in a, a, a Bethesda School of Ministry class or some other forum. When I was, used to teach music conferences across the country, it was always a common theme. And it's this. It's called the law of natural erosion. Say that with me. The law. And it is so appropriate for this topic this morning. The law of natural erosion says this. If the standard is up here, and we all have an agreement that this is, this is the mark, this is the standard, this is what, what we're shooting for, this is where it's supposed to be, and, and somehow you didn't quite hit that mark, but you, you, you hit it about here, but nobody said anything. And since nobody said anything, guess what? This now becomes your standard. Because you didn't get caught not hitting this one. What's a simple example? Being on time for work. Now I've gone to meddling, haven't I? You're supposed to be working at 8 o'clock. But you come strolling in about 8.17. But nobody said anything. Now that's an almost silly example, but it's a, a real one. And then guess what? If that's your new standard then if nobody said anything, then here comes, it's the law of natural erosion. Then the next time, you're going to hit it about right here. And then guess what? If nobody said anything, that becomes your new standard. It's the law of natural erosion. And it happens to all of us. We all have the capability of it happening. And it, and it seems to work out until because nobody's gotten in your face and said, that's not okay, until you get a pink slip. You need to be reminded where the original standard was. And ladies and gentlemen, for us, the standard is the holy word of God. Because that's the standard by which we will be judged. But it's in our human nature to allow the standard to slip further and further and further until someone or a set of circumstances makes you fully aware of how far you have slipped. It's called the law of natural erosion, and we all have a propensity toward it. You can't read the Gospels without realizing the part played by animals in the life of Jesus, whether it's the animals at the incarnation, the birth of Christ, or the donkey he rode for his triumphal entry, or sparrows that he chooses to use as his object lesson on worry and provision, or the sheep that reminded him of us in our relationship to the great shepherd. He called Herod a fox. He told us to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Now, you all know I'm married to a farm girl, and animals are extremely important at our house, more important than they probably should be. In fact, I want to tell you this. When you come to Trunk or Treat held at the end of this month, if you're looking for Becky, I can tell you where to find her. She'll be at the petting zoo trying to sneak two or three of them home with her. That's where she's going to be. <laughs> Happens every year. But it's amazing how God uses animals and makes it part of the life of Jesus in so many different ways. But there's one particular creature that became a reminder to us or a warning. It was the crowing of the rooster that Jesus mentioned to Peter. Now, most of you know the story. Let me read it to you uh, so that we get it back in our minds from Mark chapter 14. I'm sure it's going to be on the screens or, or turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 14, starting at verse 27. On the way, Jesus told them, all of you will desert me. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. 
But after I am raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Peter said to him, even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you even know me. Verse 50 would say that all the disciples deserted him and ran away. Skipping down to verse 66. Meanwhile, Peter was in the courtyard below. One of the servant girls who worked for the high priest came by and noticed Peter warming himself at the fire. She looked at him closely and said, you, you are one of those with Jesus of Nazareth. And then here's his first denial. But Peter denied it. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. And he went out into the entryway. Just then, a rooster crowed. When the servant girl saw him standing there, she began telling the others, this man is definitely one of them. But Peter denied again his second denial. A little later, some of the other bystanders confronted Peter and said, you must be one of them because you are a Galilean. And then this next verse that we're going to read is an amazing expose on the human condition, how far we will go to protect ourselves. Because what we're about to read is a statement coming out of the mouth of a man who spent three years closely with Jesus himself. This is going to be a man about whom we still quote from, uh, from the Bible today. And in one instant, in one night, in one particular set of circumstances, he finds himself smack dab in his danger zone. And here's his third denial, verse 71. Peter swore, a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know this man you're talking about. And then we're left to speculate about whether or not Peter might have interspersed some profanity uh, uh, to try to throw them off in his effort to prove that he didn't know Jesus so that simply he himself would not then be arrested. Verse 72. And immediately the rooster crowed, the second time. Suddenly, Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And the Bible says, and he broke down and wept. And he broke down and wept. Church, let's never forget this. In the Christian life, Great things begin in tears. It's God's starting point. When Peter broke down and wept, all pride, of which he had plenty, and all self-sufficiency and self-trust simply dropped away from him. Listen to the warning of Jesus again back in verse 30, before a rooster crows twice, then in verse 72, after Peter's third denial, it says, a rooster crowed a second time. And at that second crowing, Peter began to weep because he remembered what Jesus said. And let's just understand this. Some people don't take the word of God seriously enough. Even though in this particular situation, it took less than a day for it to be fulfilled. Regardless how long it takes to be fulfilled, let us never forget, church, that God's word is ever true. What God says will come to pass will come to pass. No sooner had he completed his third denial that the rooster crowed. So I'm browsing through this passage one day, 
and my thoughts went like this. We're told that this denial was the fulfillment of what Jesus said, but it was not without a warning. There would be two times that the rooster would crow. And so my question to Peter, and ultimately to us today, is this. What were you thinking at the first rooster crow? How did that slip by you? What were you thinking? Obviously, Peter did not heed it. Didn't even seem to slow him down one little bit. We have no verse that indicates to us that Peter thought, hmm, this must be a coincidence. The rabbi said something along these lines that, and that I would deny him. The signal would be that. Nothing like that is in Scripture. It just, he just blew right past it. No brake lights for him at all. Peter, what were you thinking at the first crow of the rooster? It appears that you weren't thinking anything at all. And remember, this is not just some new convert. This is a three-year disciple, closely trained by Jesus himself. And this whole situation, church, is a reminder to us this morning that the power of fear and sin and compromise can come to any of us at any particular point of time. Peter was fully capable of walking straight into his danger zone and blowing right past the first clear warning. And so are you and I. It might seem natural to suppose that every time a man sins, hear me, he would know a little more about sin, its nature, and its methods. But I'm here to tell you this morning, actually the reverse is true, simply because sin is extremely tricky and conniving and deceiving. In other words, you don't get smarter as you go further into sin. You get dumber. I told you I was going to be straight with you this morning. Sin doesn't make you smarter. Jesus makes you smarter. And every time we sin, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. We are making ourselves less capable of realizing what sin is. Not more. Less capable. Less likely to recognize that we are a sinner. Less likely to look at sin as an ugly thing. And the really diabolical thing about sin is that it totally perverts a person's judgment and stops them from seeing straight. Hence, every time any one of us sins, we are making it not more, but less probable for ourselves to understand what sin is and the gravity of it and the weight of it. I'll never know how much it cost, we sing, to see my sin upon that cross. Every time I indulge in pride, selfishness, or censoriousness, which is simply severely critical fault-finding, I'm reducing my power to realize how essentially hateful and unchristlike pride, selfishness, and censoriousness are. Every time I reject the voice of conscience, the voice of the Holy Spirit, I am making it certain that the next time that voice is going to speak not more convincingly, but less. He is a gentleman, the Holy Spirit is. And it works like this. Don't go there. That's destructive for you. Don't take another step. Don't go there. 
That's destructive for you. Don't take another step. Don't go there. That's destructive for you. Don't take another step. That's how it works. I know what it is to have a man sit in my office and tell me this. The first time he walked into a place that he knew full well he should not be. He literally shivered with a chill that he could not shake off. As though the outside temperature was cold, but it was not. It was in the middle of summertime. In other words, his chill had nothing to do with the actual room temperature of the place. It was rather the first rooster crow. And he knew it. But he ignored it. And he went on in and stayed. The next time he went, he felt a bit of a chill. But it didn't last very long. Finally, after several visits, he could walk in and feel none of that warning whatsoever. Because that's the power that sin can have over us. I think rooster crow number one was the shout from God saying to Peter, put on the brakes. It was to say, God's word is true. Stop here and don't go one step further. Listen to me, to hear rooster crow number one is humbling because it shouts, God is right, listen to him. Though we don't like to be told we're not right. Rooster crow number one is humbling. It shouts, God is right, listen to him. Hearing rooster crow number two is embarrassing because it is shouting to you, you were warned and now the consequences begin. Allstate Insurance Company recently surveyed Californians in earthquake prone regions. 64% of respondents believe that a massive earthquake will hit California in three to five years. But only one in four has earthquake insurance. So what does that say to us? You can believe something and never do anything about it. Never make the appropriate change. There was a zookeeper that I read about who said that raccoons go through a glandular change at about 24 months. After that, they often attack their owners, whoever would choose to own a raccoon. (laughs) And since a 30-pound raccoon can be equal to a 100-pound dog in a scrap, this zookeeper felt compelled to mention that change that's coming to a pet raccoon owner by a young friend of his by the name of Julie. Julie listened politely as he explained the coming danger, and he'll never forget her answer. Julie said, oh, it's going to be different for me. She smiled and she nodded. Bandit wouldn't hurt me. He just wouldn't. He loves me. I know he wouldn't hurt me. Well, three months later, Julie underwent plastic surgery for facial lacerations sustained when precious Bandit attacked her for no apparent reason. And then Precious Bandit was then released into the wild. Why do I tell you that? Because sin also often comes dressed as an adorable guise. And as we play with it, how easy it is for us to say, oh, it's going to be different for me. It wouldn't hurt me. 
No man jumps into rooster crow number two without hearing rooster crow number one. Hello? No man jumps to rooster crow number two without a warning from rooster crow number one. No man or woman enters into their own distinctive danger zone without something letting you know that you are there. According to my research, there are nine words in the Greek language for sin. There may be more. I've discovered nine. But the one that always catches my attention is the word trespass. Give us our trespasses, you know, as we forgive those who trespass against it. Have you ever violated a no trespassing sign? Typically, you have to put forth some intentional effort to do that. You have to climb through some barbed wire or climb over a fence or certainly go beyond that blaring no trespassing sign. When we understand sin as a trespass, we see that you have to bust through a lot of warning signs that are there to crow at you. Trespass means you have to really, really work at it to get beyond. Trespass, you, you have to work at, at, to sin or to trespass. You have to break through the warnings of a parent, break through the warnings from the pulpit or of the Holy Spirit or of your conscience or of counsel or of a passion. You have to break through that. And here's what we need to appreciate today about our God. We need to thank God that he puts warnings in our way. We need to thank God for that first crow of the rooster. Every one of us should. Our God is active in wanting to warn and protect us when we start to enter into our own distinctive danger zone. And yet, there are people who will pick up, even if they get bloody in the process, pick up that barbed wire and step right on through. Though that is there to warn them, don't go beyond here. They'll do whatever to press on through to get where they want to go. Trespass means you have to work at it. Let me try to bring this to a close. I said try to bring it to a close. My danger zone is most likely different than yours. What I'm really trying to do this morning is get you to see that you have one. We all do, maybe more. I'm just trying to raise your sensitivity to it. It's that place that for whatever reason hold some degree of attraction or allurement for you. And the minute you allow yourself to step foot into that zone, you run the huge risk of being sucked in and engaging in sin. It may be based on an emotional need. It may be based upon a physical need. It may be based upon a financial need, whatever. For Peter, it was self-preservation and preserving his reputation with others. Weakening in your danger zone is you willing to do that which separates you from God. Willing to do that which separates you from God. You're choosing willfully to do that which separates you from God for the sake of that which you think will momentarily make you feel better. It is a trap, dear one, and it is sin. Okay, Dan, yep, I got a danger zone, maybe more than one. What do I do about it? First of all, just remember this. No man jumps to rooster crow number two without a warning from rooster crow number one. Ask God this morning to give you ears and a heart to hear that first rooster crow before you suffer the pain, the embarrassment, and the consequences of rooster crow number two. 
Tell the Lord today, Lord, I want sensitivity to your voice. Elevate my awareness to hear the first crow of the, of the rooster. For some of you today, this message may be rooster crow number one. Lord, do not allow your voice to become dull in my ear. Help me even realize the things that I do or that I am engaged in that are, are causing your voice to be dull in my ear. Church, you dull the voice of God when you don't respond to Him. You dull the voice of God when you don't respond to Him. Some of you wonder today, why does it feel like I'm not hearing the Lord? Why do I feel like I'm not hearing the voice of God? It could very well be because you did not respond the last time He spoke to you and His voice has gotten softer and softer. Or you tossed it off as if, as if it were nothing. Or what many of us do, you reasoned it away. I thank God for common sense. I thank God for logic and the things he's given our brains to be able to do. Wish I had more of it. But as I've grown older in God, I have come to a new understanding that I am fully capable of reasoning away the voice of God in my heart. Can I tell you that not always will the voice of God sound reasonable? Tell that to Abraham when he was asked to sacrifice his son Isaac. Reasonable? No. God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. And I fear that sometimes in this day and age when we become so confident in our logic, so confident in our past experience, what we've learned in our path along the way, I bet this, arrived, arrived at this age and found out I know a whole lot less than I knew many, many years ago. Because God is God, and He is perfectly able to deal with us individually in whatever way He chooses at any individual time. And it may violate your sense of reason. I just threw that in for free. I am almost done. What about the little things of life? I don't know if you're like me. Have you ever said something to someone that was just really stupid? I seem to do it with regularity. So, something just didn't come out right. You know, it just doesn't come out right. I did it again recently, and the first rooster crow came loudly in my ear saying, Dan, apologize. Well, I thought, you know, it wasn't that big a deal reasoning it away. It wasn't that big a deal. So I did, I apologized, and the person thought I was kind of crazy to even bring it up. Dan, I didn't think you'd think of it. Forget about nothing. Okay, I just said great. But I still apologize, and I want you to know I'm sorry because I, I guess I was trying to be funny or trying to be humorous or trying to connect. I don't know what I was trying to do, but what I said just did not come out right. I hope I'm not the only one in the room that, that's had that problem. Surely not. But I knew this, church. If I didn't apologize, I would not hear that voice as loudly the next time. A small thing? Sure. Yeah, small thing. But what matters most is that I'm able to hear the voice of that rooster crow in my heart. And so I went ahead and embarrassed myself, made an awkward situation to go ahead and apologize for something that anybody else would say was no big deal to apologize because it was not worth the risk to me of not being able to hear that voice again. 
It was not worth the risk to me to have that voice dampen or soften ever in my heart. Listen to me, church. If you don't hear God in the little stuff, you will never hear him in the big stuff. Why don't you start with listening to the voice of God in the little things of your life? Some people sit back, I'm just waiting for God's will, waiting, waiting. Well, why don't you start with what he's telling you right now? Let's start there. The best way to learn to hear God in the big stuff of life is to learn to obey, listen and obey his voice in the little things of life. God, give me ears to hear the rooster crow, number one, to spare me the weeping that comes with rooster crow, crow, number two. Brent, come on up and start playing so that I'll get quiet here in a minute. (laughs) Sit real still for this and I'm going to close, I promise. In 1984, an Avianca jet crashed. Avianca is a European Airlines, many of you know, from Spain. It was a big jet and it crashed into a mountain and everyone died, everyone on board died instantly. As investigators began to study the accident, they made an eerie discovery as they found the little black box flight recorder. That black box cockpit recorder revealed that several minutes before the fatal impact, while where the plane ran right into the side of a mountain. Several minutes before that impact, there was a shrill computer-synthesized voice, a computer voice, and that voice said this in English. Pull up, pull up, pull up, pull up. A warning system, right? And then on the flight recorder, as clear as anything, the pilot can be heard snapping back at that voice saying, shut up. And with that, it can be noted on there that he flipped off the warning voice. He flipped the switch off. He didn't want to hear that again. And minutes later, that plane smacked into the side of the mountain and everyone on board was dead. And that, unfortunately, folks, is a parable of how many people are treating their conscience today. Shut up. Shut up. That's what they're saying to the first rooster crow. So why... Are some pastors and other church leaders expressing concern over the condition of the church today where we started at the beginning here? Why is that a topic of conversation? Is sin any different than it was in my early days of legalistic church? No. We've just gotten much better at ignoring and dulling the voice of conviction. The voice of rooster crow number one. He can use a donkey, he can use a sheep, he can use a camel, he can use a sparrow, he can use a dove, or he can use a rooster. But he will always crow once before twice. Bow your hearts with me for a word of prayer. Lord, you know how desperately I needed to hear this today. It matters to me, and I believe it matters to the people of Bethesda more than anything else to hear your voice. We are a people, we are a church committed to the voice and the leading and the will of Almighty God. But I'm asking God as we stand, as we are before your throne right now, I'm asking that you will forgive us for the things that we have done consciously or subconsciously 
that have quieted or stilled your voice when you were trying to give direction. I am grateful, O Holy Spirit, that you are a gentleman and you deal with us gently. But forgive us if we have in any way caused your voice to become silent in our hearts because we are not willing to take the risk of doing and engaging in that which will separate us from a holy God. We will never know what it cost to see our sin upon that cross. But we're just so glad that you paid the price for us. Just before I dismiss us in prayer this morning, and I'm going to, I just want to see by raised hand, is there anyone who's saying, Pastor Dan, I'm hearing Rooster Crow number one, and I want you to pray that God will give me the ability to hear his voice. By raised hand, let me know who I can pray for this morning. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, my goodness, yes. Yes. So, Lord, we simply say help. Help us. Our help comes from the Lord, and you're the maker of the heavens and the earth. Give us, as we walk from this place today, the ability to hear your voice, hear the warning and the danger as we never have before so that we will walk in right relationship with you for we ask it in Jesus name and the church said amen